This evening we look briefly at the institution and the celebration of the Passover meal, which Jesus now will turn into the Lord's Supper. And we're very familiar as we celebrate this every Lord's Day. However, we're given a little bit more context, particularly by the Gospel of Luke, with regards to what takes place right after the meal. And so this evening, we will look very briefly at a family meal of service. Then we will look at a family discussion of discord. Firstly, the family meal of service, where Jesus himself is going to serve his disciples. What do we first notice in the first few verses, in 14 to 16? He desires to be with us. Jesus knows that he will not eat another meal with anybody before he goes to the cross. But what do we, what do we read, chapter 22, right at the beginning? It says, When the hour came, he reclined at table in the, with the apostles, with him, said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's who he wants to be with. He wants to be with his disciples. He could go anywhere. He could do anything. He could be with anybody. He looks at his disciples in the face. And he says, I earnestly desire to be with you. Now there's so much that's built into that statement. What has he spent most of his life doing? Most of his career investing in those relationships, investing in those men. That's who he spent time with. Dare I even say, they were friends. He wanted to be with them one last time. They aren't simply ministry partners. Casual acquaintances that have business meetings together or occasionally rub shoulders at church. These little words remind me of the passage in Acts chapter 20 as Paul gets off a boat on his way to Rome and there's a group of men waiting to talk to him. They're the elders from the church in Ephesus. And I don't, don't have time to go through that passage, but it ends emotionally because they know they won't see him again. And it represents a ministry of presence that the Lord Jesus has had with these men. That he looks them in the face, says, I could go anywhere right now and be with anybody. This is where I want to spend my time. I earnestly desire to be with you. But secondly, he not simply desires to be with us, he makes a relationship with us. He actually makes it even possible for us to have a relationship with him. And this is where we get to just a few pieces of what the Lord's Supper is about. He takes a cup of wine, which would be traditional during the Passover. There would be at least three or four of these occasions during the meal. A sign of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts 
during the Passover meal originally in Exodus chapter 12, so that the angel of death would pass over the homes of the Israelites, sparing their firstborn. Read about the cup of salvation in Psalm 116, which was our Old Testament reading this evening. There is a rich heritage of a cup, especially a cup of wine being for salvation, being for redemption, being for celebration. But Jeremiah 25.15 reminds us it can also symbolize a cup of divine wrath that would be poured out on the enemies of God's people and even God's people themselves who are against the Lord. Psalm 75, verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. What does all of that mean? To make a relationship with us. The cup of celebration for Jesus will become the cup of divine wrath that He Himself will drink down to the dregs. Even though that was ours to drink, He will switch that cup for a cup of salvation, of celebration, of eternal life. Why? Because it represents His blood that will be poured out the next day on the cross for our redemption. We come to the bread. It represents His body, which is again a pretty big transition from the Passover meal, where He is declaring that a Middle Eastern staple in bread is being reconfigured in their minds during this meal to say, you can't live without Me. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He's the one who feeds the 5,000 and then the 4,000. From Him flow rivers of living water and nowhere else. He's saying this, this bread represents my body because this is what it's going to take for me to make a relationship with you that we would live together eternally. That this meal would be celebrated again one day in the marriage supper of the Lamb he would have to give himself up, body and blood. Cup of redemption to a cup of wrath, that it might become a cup of redemption for us. Bread being transformed, in a sense, spiritually, into his body to remind us we can't live by simple bread alone. We have to live by him. Part of the point, though, is that all of this meal is representative of a gracious gift. None of these men earned any of it. They were sought after by the Lord Jesus. The relationship is only there and it's only possible and it's only active because He made the effort. He's bringing them to this meal. He's meeting with them as friends. Not because they earned it but as a gift. It continues on, though, with regards to the meal. We recognize uh, some awkwardness that He overcomes opposition for us. Verse 
21, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. That kind of dulls the mood, doesn't it? Somebody here is going to betray him? Is it me? It couldn't be me. I didn't plan to. Who is it? What's going to happen? Somebody at the meal is going to assure that Jesus does not live through another night. Does that stop the relationship? Does that plan surprise the Lord? Does it stop our ability to live with Him forever? No, it does not. It doesn't surprise Him. It grieves Him. But He overcomes that opposition. He goes to the meal willingly knowing someone is going to betray Him. And He knows who it is. But John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Yet again, we see that all over the gospel messages, as Jesus' life is coming to an end, there's this pointing to this vital relationship. That the Lord Jesus is not a distant God who saved us begrudgingly, who has nothing to do with us now. He's provided a meal. He has served us the meal. He's served us on the cross, which the meal represents. And He did all of it willingly, knowing there would be opposition. But He calls us friends. Jesus brought us into this relationship and this meal that we regularly partake of is a communion spiritually with the Godhead through the second person of the Trinity. We are served. We are loved. We are beloved. We're brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus as He pays for our sins. That should impact how we interact and how we look at each other as the body of Christ. But sadly, verse 24 has this major transition to a family meal of service where we receive to a family discussion of discord. There's this big problem. And the first big problem is that we desire to be great. This, this makes no sense. If you, if you look at verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as greatest. I could not get this image out of my head. I know this doesn't happen in your house. It only happens in my house. But after we, we sit down after dinner and we read the Bible together, we share prayer requests and we pray and everyone is in such a great mood someone immediately will make a snide comment to another person, then someone will get hit with a pillow, and then someone blames someone else, and it's like, were you not just listening to what we were doing? And my wife looks at me and says, were you not just listening to what we were doing? And then everybody's convicted of their sin. That's exactly what I feel in verse 24. It's like, they have just been served by the Lord Jesus Christ, showing what he's about to do for them. And what do they do next? They say, I think the kingdom is coming. 
I need to be first. James, I'm such a better preacher than you. I'm so, be- so much better looking than you, Andrew. Not, not you, Andrew, but the disciple. I'm so much smarter than John. I've put in so much more effort than him. Jesus, I must be in your inner circle. I'm not a bonehead like Peter. It's insanity. But I can relate to it. We desire, even after having the meal, to be the best, to be the greatest, to be selfish. I'm concerned about my reputation. I'm turned inward. The Lord Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. The world, in its leadership strategy, says, be out for yourself. Only worry about what you're going to get, or what people think about you, or how much suffering you need to avoid. But the Lord is doing something completely different. Even though we want to be great, we want to be respected, we want to be depended on, we want to be seen as important, we want to be seen as better, we want, we want to be seen as more valuable than other people in this room. What does the Lord say? That we're actually called to serve. Verse 26, But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. In the church family, we should all be trying to outserve one another. Now, even that can become a competition where we're trying to make ourselves great again. We should not think about ourselves. Recently, I told all officer candidates that we are servant leaders from Mark 10, 43. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We do this by spending our time with each other. Precious time. Jesus had precious time. What did we just get through saying? He wanted to spend it with these individuals. To serve them. One last time, spending our our precious and valuable resources on each other. That's all Jesus ever did with these men his whole life. Being quick to forgive each other. Willing to sacrifice. But why? Well, Jesus continues, For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. He's saying, of course, in any context, the one who is seen culturally as greater is the one who's sitting at the table, paying for the meal, being served. Yeah, I earned this. I I am better than those who are serving me. And Jesus says, but I'm here. And what am I doing? Continuing to serve you. I'm here. What am I doing? And in the gospel, he's going to wash their feet. He's serving. It's a message to everyone who follows Jesus. Do likewise. Serve. 
He lays down His power, His authority for those who don't deserve it, for those who couldn't earn it. He's looking after them. He's caring for them, serving them. The message is to do the same. Why? That's what we've received. But finally, we're promised to overcome. Despite outside opposition and difficulty, despite the absolute difficulty of the growth of our own faith and our ability to overcome our own selfishness. Jesus makes this promise. You are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father has assigned to me, a kingdom. The kingdom doesn't come because they've earned it. The kingdom doesn't come because they're better than each other, or they're the best, or that they're better than the people around them. It's because they've received it. And they're supposed to live it. Even so, they do so frail, in frail ways, imperfectly. He makes the promise that the kingdom will come and that they will receive it. Not because they've earned it, but because he simply chose to give it to them. To put a fine point on it, I didn't watch I didn't get to watch the finals basketball game on Monday night. I don't even know who won. I don't even care. Because I got a very bad phone call that many of you are aware of. Many of us are serving right now. Hopefully we're not serving to be greater. We're not serving publicly. We're serving today, tomorrow, next week and the week after behind the scenes for a family that's hurting in the midst of our church. We're taking meals, praying with them, praying for them. I can promise you showing up tomorrow afternoon is not going to be easy. But I can also say this. None of us do this because we're related to the Jenkins family or because we go way back in time with them, but because they are a sheep in this flock with us, bought and brought by the Lord Jesus. And therefore, we serve. Because greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Let us consider each other friends. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, help us as we participate in a meal together, as we get a foretaste of the final meal we will have with you eternally to not simply recognize that we commune with you, but that we commune spiritually with our spiritual family that's sitting with us. People that we are called to serve, even when it is most inconvenient and most difficult. May we answer that call to serve each other because we are those who have been served. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.